My name is Mary Catherine Blackwood. I am 18 years old and I live with my sister Constance. I have often thought that with any luck at all, I could have been born a werewolf because the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length, but I have had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself and dogs and noise. I like my sister Constance and Richard Plantagenet and Amanita Phylloides the Death Cup Mushroom. Everyone else in my family is dead. Welcome to Story Girls, a fortnightly podcast about books with a dash of absurdity. I'm your host, Alicia. And I'm Lindsay. And this week, our book is We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson as part of our castle series. All right. And we will begin by reading the back of the book. Mm What you are holding in your hand is no mere book. It is an item of black magic. Once you have opened its cover, you will be placed under a spell that cannot be broken until you turn the last page. Ooh. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. And that is, a, yeah, that's from a, an older edition. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really tell you what the book's about at all. Does, does not. Um, <laughs> Nor also does my has, edition. No, your edition has, no, has nothing. No writing on the back whatsoever. Uh, yeah, then, then there's just a few um, really hard to read. The font that they have chosen, I'm not sure if that's on purpose, but it's really hard to read. Like half of the letters don't aren't actually printed. And I don't even think hmm. they're worn off. Like it's just literally like... Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> the font's super weird. Anyway, I so think that might be worn off. Do you think so? I think so. I, uh, it's an odd choice. I just don't know how that would be worn off and be black underneath. Oh, yeah. True. You know what it's I mean? It's part of the witchcraft, maybe. It's part of the witchcraft. I think that's maybe what it's part, because... Anyways, and then there's just a little bit about Shirley Jackson, but I think you could tell us a bit more about Shirley Jackson. Yeah, I'm not going to go into a super um, big detail about her, but Shirley Jackson was born in 1916 in California. She came from a quite um, well-off, well-to-do family, and her mother would have infinitely preferred her to be a debutante. Uh. (laughs) Uh, She had a lifelong sort of battle against her mother, who was a pretty terrible woman. Um, which shows up in a lot of her (laughs) novels and short stories. But Shirley rebelled against her mother by becoming a writer and by marrying a intellectual Jewish uh, professor. (gasps) And after she married, his name was Stanley Edgar Hyman. She (laughs) did not take, it's Hyman with an A, but still she sensibly did not take his last name. It's a wise choice. (laughs) wise choice. They lived most of their married life in Vermont where she wrote most of her books. And um, he was also a bit of a jerk. So, yeah, we will maybe touch back on some of her life when when we talk about themes in the book. But I would also just like to say, if you're interested in the life of Shirley Jackson, she wrote a lot of autobiographical... um, She had a very odd career, a mixture of horror writing and writing about domesticity. She wrote for like housekeeping magazines and she has a few collections of short stories about raising children, um, which are quite funny, Mm. but also the excellent, uh, podcast deviant women has an episode about Shirley Jackson where they dive more deeply into her life. So I would recommend if anyone's interested going and checking that out. Awesome. Okay, so from the bowl of prompts. Are we are we jumping right into that or should we do a little like warning for spoilers? So there is 
spoilers abound. Yeah, and this book is... So spoilery. So spoilery. I really highly, highly recommend, as with all the books, that you go read this. Press pause if you haven't. Come back. Um, Yeah, because you really don't want to know, because it's part of the magic of this book. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that if you then read this book and then you read it again, it's so interesting how there's some, like there's other bits that you would not get unless Mm -hmm. you read the book a second time, which is very interesting as well. Little, little Easter eggs or something there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's definitely rewards some rereadings. Okay. Let's dive in. All righty. Prompts. I'm just going to go for it. Okay. Do it. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so much for diving in. <laughs> Ooh, ain't that a name? Names mm. in the book that deserve a mention. Okay. All right. I would like to mention mm-hmm. the street names. Okay. Do it. Uh, they're pretty early on. Let me see here. Ooh. Okay. So my book is old and constantly falling apart. I would just like to note that there is Hill Road. River Road, an old mountain. <laughs> I just, I was like, I really, you know, they're pretty sweet because it's really hard to. You These know. are very literal people. Oh, and there's also Creek Road. Like, yes. <laughs> Not a lot of imagination in the villagers. No. <laughs> uh, Blackwood is an awesome back last name. Yeah, and I think is also indicative of um, sort of the family is a bit of a. They're a bit evil. They're a bit evil. They're a bit evil. And also the house surrounded by trees. Mm-hmm. Like you could also refer to the, like the house is, is also Blackwood, yep. which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I think yeah. it also does a little bit of foreshadowing of the fate of the house, mm-hmm. which, um, here we go again, does catch on fire later in the book. And does, does catch on fire. Yeah. It turns very black, woody yep. indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, Mary Catherine, our main character has mm-hmm. a, an amazing nickname. Mary Cat. I love it. And honestly, I know that she's a questionable character, but if I ever had a child, I would be really tempted to name her Mary Cat. It's a really cute name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like it. And I do think Constance is very aptly named. Mm. She's a very constant person and she's yeah. a very um she's very much for Mary Cat. She's that figure of stability and yeah. maternal comfort and yeah. All of those kinds of things. Yeah. Interesting also that cousin Charles always refers to Constance as Connie, yes. trying to, you know, invoke a sense of familiarity, being like, it doesn't oh, work. It, it, yeah. It kind of works on her. Well, it works She's on her. She's very tempted. But it rings false. It does ring false. It no rings one else very false. Calls yeah. For that. Yeah. We should also mention that <gasps> Jonas. Jonas. Jonas the cat. Yeah. It's a great name. It's a great name. And he's it's a great a, cat. He's a great cat. Um, and anybody else have great names? Hmm, I think that's th- those are the those are the most notable names. Those are the most notable names. Yep. Oh, okay. Themes? Question mark. Ooh. Discuss. All right. This could. I feel like a lot of these prompts are going to sort of maybe bleed into one another. I think another this is all going to bleed. Oh goodness. All right. <laughs> all right. Look at all your notes. I have a lot of notes. I've been sick all week. I've just been making notes about this book. (laughs) My notes are so messy. I'm like, oh, God. All right. So first of all, first off, I want to kick off the theme discussion with um, talking about witchcraft. Oh, yeah. Um, So 
Shirley Jackson was reputed to be a practicing witch during her career, which is pretty cool. Um, There are some, some, a little bit of question about how much she actually was into witchcraft and how much of it was a bit of a persona to help sell her her books and the type of fiction that she wrote. Mm. However, she was certainly a scholar of witchcraft. She mm. had an enormous library of books on witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, I think, sort of played a lot of that up. But she did say that she read tarot and she used charms and, and that kind of thing. And so Mary Cat in the book also is very much into that type of talismans and ritual. Mm-hmm. And um, she subscribes to a very particular type of magical thinking where she thinks that she is ordering the world, basically, mm-hmm. by performing these acts. And she buries things mm-hmm. and she hangs she things to, in trees. She likes. She thinks that things have a particular place to be and in so putting them there sometimes mm-hmm. it restores a balance or right. can perform an act of some kind yes yeah because yeah. when cousin charles discovers the silver coins that she's buried mm-hmm. she's like oh i'm gonna have to find something else to put there because like right. that hole needs to have something in it yeah like, that's the balance there mm-hmm. and says so she's been burying things her whole life and mm-hmm. the whole property is is filled with it filled with the her buried treasures and mm-hmm. she doesn't know where half of them are and yeah but it really gives her a sense of peace and she also seems to have a bit of magic words because mm-hmm. she when charles is coming she's trying to she can sense something's happening yeah and she's trying to whisper all these words and then i think she regrets that she doesn't get a chance to like that she kind of doubts herself and she goes off to get a sweater and something and then he's in the kitchen Right, and yeah. She's like, God damn it. Yeah, she has all these reasons why things mm. don't happen, right? So when Charles arrives, she thinks it's because she has this book that used to be her father's where he wrote down the names of everyone who owed him money. And she has taken it and nailed it to a tree, mm-hmm. presumably years prior to this. And when she does her rounds one morning to check on all of her little protections, it has fallen. Mm. And she thinks that's why Charles was able to get into the house. Right. Yeah. She had like a ward or something like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting because there's in the beginning of the book, when she's going into town, she has all this like ritual for how to get through the town, but she doesn't, she doesn't refer to that as magic. That's just a game that she plays. So she does have the distinction between like a routine and things that she kind of forces upon herself Mm -hmm. to endure when she goes into town. But those are separate from her magic. From her magic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, I think, to the theme uh, of witchcraft um, comes out in the way that they are seen and treated by the mm. villagers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Mary Cat is very, um, you can't really trust her um, what, and what she's saying. And the, vo- the book is narrated in her voice. But so at the beginning, she's always saying, oh, the villagers have always hated us. And, mm. and you kind of like, when I first read it, I took that with a grain of salt and I was like, well, she's a little bit crazy and yeah. maybe that's not, maybe things aren't as she thinks. But then as yeah. the book progresses, it really is like, nope, they really do hate them. There's, they really do hate them. Even yeah. though like there's that one woman who comes, Helen Clark. Helen Clark. Yeah. And she says that to Mary Cat, like, you know, they don't hate you as much as you think that they do. Like yeah. you've blown that in proportion out of your head. Right. And but, if you were nice to them, they'd be nice to you kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I think there's probably a little bit of truth in that because mm. my goodness, what she thinks about them. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and I don't think she holds back. Um, no. But I think it's also true that they, based on what happens to the house, 
right that they definitely hate them yeah they really yeah. turn on them at a certain point in the book but yeah. and um, interestingly because you kind of when she first says they hate us like you think like they hate the family right but then there's just like they're literally like they're two young women and an invalid man who have yeah. gone through this big tragedy yeah. and that hatred is still so alive and well so, yeah they're very yeah. much objects of fear mm-hmm. and um we should also say too that we didn't mention that when the family was poisoned and died it was their parents their 10 year old brother and their aunt mm-hmm. um and their uncle julian who they live with was also poisoned but he didn't die mm-hmm. but he's still suffering the after effects of that mm-hmm. physically but Constance was tried for the murders. Yes. But she was acquitted. She was acquitted. The town, well, this is something I go back and forth on because the town definitely seems to think that she got away with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then she still has people trying to lure her back into society because they know her and they know that she couldn't have done it. Well, I don't know if they do. I think Helen Clark is one that I think she's very convinced yeah yeah, that Constance couldn't have done it but it's just kind of weird because I think like there's like they're like no one else could have done it right but right yeah it's like yeah it's it's strange it's an odd one and I but I do think most of the villagers do think that Constance did it they have that song that they taunt Mary Cat with Mm -hmm. um the Poison was in the sugar mm-hmm. at the dinner, and which yeah. they all put on their blackberries. Yeah. Um, except Constance never took sugar, so that's no. why she was... Yeah, she was saved from it. Mm-hmm. Saved from it. Um, well, that goes to my, my favorites. One of my favorite scenes mm. is when Helen Clark brings Mrs. Wright over. Yes. Who just, like, <laughs> c- cannot resist, like... Because Uncle Julian, it seems, from his arsenic poisoning, mm-hmm. um, cannot really move on from that night. In no. fact, is writing a book. And and he knows that Constance didn't do it. Yes. But he cannot figure out who did. Right. He, it's like a huge mystery to Uncle Julian. It's a mi- huge mystery to him. But he also seems to have like a lack of memory because he's always like, did it really happen? And mm-hmm. Constance has to be like, yes. And she patiently answers all of his questions. Yeah. But that scene in which Mrs. Wright and she's like lured into talking with Uncle Julian about it. So you learn the whole story yes. as Mrs. Wright and Julian like go back and forth over it. Yeah. And she just is like, well, I'm kind of new to the town and I just got to say like, you know, she bought the arsenic. Like she made the dinner. Yeah. Then she washed out the bowl before the cops came. Yeah. She watched them all die and only called after they were dead. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then she told the cops they deserve to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's like, she misspoke. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, the whole time she's, Constance is sitting in the next room, just very quietly Listening answering to- all these questions. But she's like, she washed out the sugar bowl. And Constance is like, there was a spider in it. Yeah. And But like, Mrs. Wright doesn't hear her. No. And I love that Helen Clark is just like, 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 I just, I would never have thought this of this woman yeah. that I brought into she your house. She seems so quiet. Yeah, she's just getting more and more appalled. But like, really, we must go. Like, and while we're talking yeah. about this scene, I just have to say that this is one of my favorite lines when they first arrive. Mm. Um, and Mary Cat says, because Helen Clark was ungraceful by nature, she managed to make the simple act of moving into a room and sitting down a complex ballet for three people. <laughs> And look how Mrs. Wright ends up on a couch that she clearly did not have to, to sit on. A very uncomfortable seat. Oh, it's so uh, good. I adore that scene because I think it's just so clever of Shirley Jackson to, instead of, like, that whispery, gossipy way that um, that they're talking, 
is just so intoxicating. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and then again, yeah, like the filling and all of the details, and just some of like the commentary between like Uncle Julian like complimenting Mrs. Wright, be like, ah, yes, like this, <laughs> this element here, yeah, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. And really, it's one of those interesting things that like they lay out all this information for you that you're mm-hmm. kind of like, well, isn't she guilty? Like, because that's a lot of damning evidence. It is a lot of damn, damning evidence. Um, I felt for myself, and I'm just, I have to hit the spoiler button again, because we do find out toward the end of the book that it was, in fact, Mary Cat. Which is also kind of obvious, because throughout the book, she's constantly planning on killing people. This is the thing. <laughs> like, I was not shocked. Like, I always knew it was Mary Cat, yeah. because from chapter one, you have access to her internal thoughts, and mm-hmm. she is constantly wishing pain and death on people. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's not surprising in that respect, but it's kind of surprising that Constance got acquitted without Mary Cat being implicated. Being implicated. Like, how on earth did that get managed? Well, she was only 12 at the time, right? I know, and everyone just is like, oh, well, she went to, like, she literally, they were like, oh, she was punished, she went to bed. Isn't that a warning? (laughs) (laughs) They probably wouldn't have considered that a 12-year-old girl, and especially when you think about, this was written in 1962, right? Or it was Mm -hmm. published in 1962. So, when you think of a 12-year-old now, it's probably very different from a 12-year-old in the late 50s, early 60s. Yeah, I guess I just think it's funny because Constance is older quite a bit quite a bit older because she was um she's in her 30s she's 28 oh she's 28 she's 28 okay so she's 10 years older she's 10 years older than Mary Cat but it happened six years before so she would have been 22 22 um and so yes she would have been the only adult in all these things but it's just kind of funny that if she didn't do it no one's like well there's one other person I know yeah (laughs) yeah I was like even for Uncle Julian even though weirdly Mm -hmm. Uncle Julian at the not at the very end but he says it she's dead he does yeah Yeah. he says that she died of neglect in the orphanage while her sister was on trial yeah and then you wonder how really there he is because she's Mary Cat has all these blocks back to her routines Mm -hmm. she can't go in his room it's only until after he's Die that she can touch his shawl. Yes, and you try. Then you try to think back about like, did they ever actually interact? They never interact in the whole book. No, no. So she went along with it, though they mm-hmm. were in the same rooms. But I guess like, and I'm like, what is that? Was that a mental block that he was like, she couldn't have done it? Mm-hmm. Like even though she's standing right in front of me, so therefore she's a ghost and she must be dead. Yeah. Well, I think ghosts. Maybe he couldn't handle the other idea of like literally living with his like would-be murderer. Exactly. Would-be murder. Yeah, would-be murderer. Would you call someone your murderer? Murderer? I would. Okay. (laughs) I felt like there was another word for that. Like, yeah. Anyways, yeah. So he just was like, whoop. Like, she can't be here. Right. Yeah. And yeah, she talks to Constance in the room in front of him, like, Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And she talks to Charles in front of him, but she never... They never actually directly um, communicate. Yeah. Which is really interesting. And I think ghosts is another theme Mm. that I think is a really interesting one in the book because um, there are no actual ghosts in this book. But... They kind of live in a house of ghosts at the same time. I do. I read a really... So there's a reviewer on Goodreads that I follow, oh. and um, I will link to this in the show notes. She wrote a really astute review of this book where she said that this is a book, a story about how a house becomes haunted. 
And I really like that because I feel Mm. like they are all just fixating on this one event in the past. Because Julian cannot let it go. And neither can Constance. Constance has not literally left the house in six years. No. She hasn't left the property. No. So she goes about out into her back garden, but that's it. Yeah. Um, And so they're all stuck around this event in this specific location mm-hmm. and living literally with the ghosts of the people that and turning into ghosts family. themselves because she does say that like she misses them like she wishes at times that they were back yeah constance does. yeah constance does they keep the family house immaculate mm-hmm. they keep their mother's drawing room immaculate mm-hmm. which has a giant picture of her yeah um but i do also think it's really interesting that through Primarily through Uncle Julian's character. Mm. And um, we get a picture of what the family was like. Mm. And they were not nice people. No, they were not nice people. Yeah. Yeah. So you do, although it's never laid out for you explicitly why Mary Cat killed them, Mm. through both her internal monologue of being like, you can tell she's unbalanced. You can tell she's got these like really sadistic kind of urges. Murderous impulses. Yeah. And not just murderous, but like suffering. Like she Mm. wants people to suffer. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a part where she pictures Helen Clark. Remember, like she pictures her on a snowbank in like a bathing suit or something. And like sobbing and like stuck in the branches of a tree and she's like trying to stop herself from laughing yeah as she imagines this while Helen Clark's sitting right in front of her yeah it's really quite disturbing it's very disturbing yeah and that coupled with Uncle Julian's descriptions of just little things here and there about what his brother was like the things he said how Mm -hmm. his brother and sister-in-law would fight how Mm -hmm. he begrudged them food Mm -hmm. because they were living with him and there was something yeah about the there was a dispute between the two wives like the yes, yeah his yeah. wife and yeah there was something there yeah yeah and then also uh when mrs wright is over and has you know been sat on the sofa where she doesn't intend to sit mm-hmm. and mary cat like offers her the bowl of sugar and mrs wright's like oh <laughs> and, <laughs> and mary cat's like silently like gleefully gleefully yeah. and then you find out very soon after mm-hmm. that the poison was in the sugar bowl the sugar, but yeah. I love that there is these things that Shirley Jackson doesn't tell you right yep. away. She is not someone who just like lays it out all for you. Yeah. So then when you go back and read it, you're like, oh, that's why. Or even, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And then further to that point also, it's very interesting because obviously she intended to kill Uncle Julian. Yes. With the sugar, but he just didn't take enough yep. of it. Mm-hmm. Um and then we see that, like, you know, he thinks she's a ghost. Like, he thinks that she's dead. Yes. We don't know if he thinks that she's a ghost. But um, she never interacts with him. And that she spends the entire time trying to tell herself to be nicer to him, to mm-hmm. be nicer to him. But they don't interact. She's just trying to convince herself not to finish the job. I think she might be. <laughs> because he does take a lot of Constance's attention. He does. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and I think that her constantly reminding herself to be nicer to him is her constantly saying, don't kill this guy. Don't do it. You've done enough to this guy. (laughs) But I do also love her um, little, like she'll say to herself, today is a day of long, thin things Mm. because she'll find like a hair or like a something, you know, a stick. And she'll be like, Mm -hmm. long, thin things today will remind me to be nicer to Uncle Julian. And then there's another day that's like sparkling things today will remind me. And she always is like ordering her days by these little things that she notices that draw her attention. Yeah. 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 
Also interesting, back to the ghost theme, when Charles mm-hmm. first shows up, Mary Cat in the morning wakes up and is just like happy as a daisy. Yeah. And like Constance is like, oh, Charles is still asleep. And she's like, what? No, that was a ghost. Yeah. Like, I'm, that, that had to be a ghost. And Constance is like, oh, no. Yeah. And no, she's still upstairs. <laughs> right up to the end, she refers to him as a ghost or a demon. Yeah. She doesn't recognize him as a, like, actual yeah. person yeah. legitimately in their lives. And you do have to wonder if Uncle Julian thought he was living with a ghost. like As in Mary Cat. As in Mary yeah. Cat, yeah. And then really they become ghosts themselves mm-hmm. because like people start coming around and like picnicking and playing yeah. on the front lawn yeah. and like taunting themselves about the women inside, mm-hmm. but no one knows if they're really in there still because they won't yeah. answer anybody. Yeah. And they disappear, so they act as like ghosts. They do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they do act like ghosts. Okay, and then further to the witchcraft theme, um, the the ending of the book, which involves villagers stoning and burning their house down, is also very evocative of like witch hunting and um, you know the fate of many women who were accused mm. of being witches. And so, though to be fair, Mary Cat is the one who brings the house down. Indeed, it's true. <laughs> Mary Cat does, but um, the villagers are certainly there, like trying to get the firefighters to stop fighting it, and they're yeah. saying, "Let it burn, let it burn." Yeah. And the firefighter man, who is the man who has accosted Mary Cat in the cafe, mm-hmm. does his due diligence. Yes. And then very visibly and purposefully, like removes his fire chief thing once yep. the fire is out and starts the destruction of, of the, the house. house. Up, yeah. And then they like surround them in this circle oh, it's that so you creepy. do like you do wonder what would happen if they hadn't escaped out of that. Like, would yeah. they then have started pelting them with rocks? I like, truly think they would have. Yeah. So yeah. that's where like someone breaks it up. Yeah. It's the doctor, uh, Helen Clark and the doctor, and the doctor, Yeah, Helen Clark's husband and the doctor. Yes. Jim Clark. By announcing that Julian has died. Yeah. And they're like, there's been a death in this house. Like everyone leave. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of being like, uh, what you doing? There to these- <laughs> Not cool guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which also, kind of reminds me of this quote that I have here from, this is another Shirley Jackson book called Let Me Tell You. It's not actually a book that she, it's a book that was put together posthumously by her children of unpublished short stories and essays. But um, there is a quote on the back from someone named Francine Prose, and I don't know who that is, Hmm. but she says, an author who not only writes beautifully, but who knows what there is in this world to be scared of. Mm. And I think that really sums up Shirley Jackson's writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, obviously the witchcraft, like when I was reading the back and even the front, um, like inside the cover of my book, it's like a recipe for a witch's brew. So mm. like they've really gone down on this yes. witchcraft theme. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways too, I think you can see, um, you could potentially read Constance's cooking as like a form of spellcraft too like she's always like cooking up something on a cauldron (laughs) sort of (laughs) thing like she kind of evokes that image of like a a person stewing up some sort of spells in there well and also like even Jonas like is Mm. Mary Cat's familiar he is yeah he's very he's a very familiar type figure and he's got she has more of a relationship with Jonas than she does with anybody else other than Constance Yeah. yeah yeah she does yeah 
Yeah. Coming back to Mary Cat's motive, mm-hmm. I think it's very, because you don't know why, but at the same time, at some point, Charles threatens her and she's Several like times. about, pu- yeah. but about punishment. And right. she's like, punish me, punish me, like send me to bed without dinner. Right. And then she takes off. Like she's so mad. And we know that yeah. she was punished um, the night of the killings for not going to dinner. Now we know from Constance that or Constance told the police at, at least that this was a common occurrence. Yes. We don't know that though, because Constance has always been covering for Mary Cat. Yes. So she may have given her like, a, oh no, that happened all the time. But right. Mary Cat freaks out about this potential of not having dinner. Yeah. And then even after like they burn down the house, they wake up and, oh no, they're literally, the house is becoming attacked and she's just Oh no, the house is on fire and she's waiting and she's like, I'm hungry. Like these people better get out so I can get back inside and Constance can make me dinner. And then the next morning when they wake up and they have like, they exchange very few pleasantries and then she's like, I haven't had any dinner. Like, and Constance is like, oh shit, like we got to get to the house and get you dinner. I'm like, literally, did she just murder everyone because they deprived her of food? And the only person she didn't kill is the cook (laughs) who was constantly making her food. And food is another huge theme in this book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's actually one of the most chilling scenes in the whole thing is Mm -hmm. after Charles threatens her, she goes to the summer house, which is um, an outbuilding that they have which is very damp and dark and overgrown and she talks about how yeah it's kind of a spooky eerie spot nobody even really liked it when they were all around well the mother wouldn't go and therefore no one else would right right yeah she sounded like a bit of a a piece of work a piece of work well because we hear again in that mrs not to sorry that's okay just reminds me when Mrs. Wright, they're going through the whole thing mm-hmm. uh, with Uncle Julian about how the, the killings happened. The killings. The killings. Um, and she says Constance should not have been cooking. Yeah. And she's like, why couldn't Mrs. Blackwood have done her own cooking? Yeah. And, and Uncle Julian's like, we don't want to have that. But yeah. it definitely sounds like Constance was put into like mm-hmm. a a servital role yes. that she sh- should not have been doing. Yeah. And, and also M- Helen Clark says at that same point, she's like, oh, it was an unhealthy environment and like Mary Cat should never have been sent to bed without dinner and, you know, that kind of thing. So there's definitely some criticism there happening. But yeah, this scene in the summer house, speaking of, this is like the closest we come to actually getting ghosts, although mm-hmm. it's all inside um, Mary Cat's head. But she goes into the summer house and she visualizes the whole family sitting in their places around the table and then they have this imagined conversation which is so creepy which is all about what a good girl Mary Cat is and how she should never be punished and how all the other people should give her their food she's really obsessed with food she's very obsessed with food yeah it's like is there yeah what is that like food is love because we get this sense that if Constance was put into this kind of like servital role and she's so much older than Mary Cat like she has been taking care of Mary Cat yes so Mary Cat also did not kill her cook but did not kill her caretaker her caretaker yeah yeah Yeah, Constance very much is a maternal figure for her and um I get Constance also Mary Cat takes care of Constance they're in this very weird yes it's a very weird codependent sort of yeah situation but I think too there's another thing that this is making me think of when Mm -hmm. we talk about what is the significance of the food so 
in the Blackwood house, there is a cellar. Oh my God, the preserves. It's filled, <laughs> filled chocolate block with preserves that every Blackwood wife yes. has made and stored there. And Constance says that if you were to open some of them, like they would kill you because they're, they're so old. They're bad. Well, is see, that... I don't know. Yeah. Or is that another thing? Like you can't eat them. They'll kill you in the same way that like you can't, you know, go into Uncle Julian's room or touch his shawl. Like it's. Yeah. I'm sure some of them are so old they would kill you. Yeah. And like also back to that Mrs. Wright thing, Julian's like Constance would never abuse the arsenic. And he lists off like at least like seven other food related ways that she could have cooked them to death. Exactly. them All the mushrooms. All the mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the hemlock, like, you know, concoction that he said, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I was like, why would Constance know all those ways to kill people? Well, yeah. And it's interesting too, because <laughs> there's a part a where family tradition. remember the part where Mary Cat is threatening um, Charles mm. in a very passive aggressive way by sitting on the step and just listing off all the poisonous mushrooms and yeah. how they kill people. Yeah. And Constance kind of laughs it off and she's like, oh, I made her memorize which ones are poisonous so that she would know not to eat them. Yeah. But you kind of wonder if it's like a weird... No, it's definitely a weird. (laughs) She doesn't need to know that much detail about how each one specifically kills you in a specifically different way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I just want to read this this quote. It's actually from the very first page of the book where she says, um, she's talking about the house. Blackwoods had always lived in our house and kept their things in order. As soon as a new Blackwood wife moved in, a place was found for her belongings. And so our house was built up with layers of Blackwood property waiting it and keeping it steady against the world. Hmm. And I feel like the preserves also um, have that function. Yes. Where they're part of the Blackwood women's property that Mm -hmm. is waiting the house against the world. Right. Yeah. And so for Mary Cat, I think... It's like this kind of... Yeah. Yeah, I think that's linked with the food. And also the food is linked to her magic words. Remember when she gets her three magic words that she says to herself, they're Pegasus, Gloucester. Is that how we're saying that? Okay, sure. Um, And Melody. Those Mm. are her three magic words. And she whispers one into a piece of toast and then eats it really quickly. And then she whispers one into a glass of water and drinks it. And so her magic is also linked with consuming. Yeah. And with food. And for Constance, I feel like the food is her therapy. Like it's her yes. sanity. Cause she like keeps her, she keeps the whole house immaculate, but the kitchen particularly, mm-hmm. and she's constantly cooking. And yep. the only place that she can go to by the end is her vegetable garden. Yep. And she just spends most of the time tending her vegetables, but literally like she cooks meals upon request, mm-hmm. plus lots of cookies and everything like that constantly mm-hmm. for Mary Cat. Like that's her mothering. And I think yep. that's also her sanity. Yeah. And then interesting at the end, food, still huge, because that's mm. what the villagers start providing yes. in penance, yes. um, is that they provide them food. Yeah. Um, so leave baskets on Leave their baskets. Yep. And so, yeah, the food is huge. And I love how, like, it says, like, at one point, like, someone sends, like, a beef stew, and Constance, like, takes it apart and puts it back together again <laughs> with, yeah. like, her own spin on it, like, of what's appropriate to, like, have in a stew. Yeah. Like, she's, like, vetting everyone's food. 
And she's identifying who is sending what. She's like, well, this person puts too much ketchup in this and this person doesn't put enough salt in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also that really important moment because Charles shows up and the next morning she makes him pancakes mm-hmm. and Uncle Julian's, he's like, oh, I trust like, you know, Constance cooking. He's like, Uncle Julian's like, I assume you're referring to the arsenic. And then Charles like doesn't want to eat the yeah. pancake and it's kind of like, oh. And Constance, that's like the only time we see her angry. Yeah. She gets mad. She's like, yep. well, you ate my food last night. Yeah. 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 It was funny because he's like, I'm not afraid to eat anything Constance cooks. And Uncle Julian's like, I was just referring to a heavy meal in the morning, but I assume you were referring to arsenic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, the food is so important. I mean, I love reading about food. My God. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, shall we move on? I I hope we pick food as the next prompt. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, are there any cats in this book? So in which we will talk further about Jonas the cat. Jonas is my favorite cat (laughs) in all books. Maybe he might be. I'm not sure. He's pretty great. He's so great. He's pretty great. I love the rich internal life that Mary and Cat gives him yes um there is of course like the wonderful moment in which he's like staring at constance weirdly yes (laughs) because he's because her face is dirty because her face (laughs) is dirty and he's like because he's never seen her face dirty before because she keeps herself so well um but that he also like i mean mary cat is most offended when jonas seems to be warming up to charles Charles, yeah she's just like what is this and she gives jonas talking to well she tells him not to talk to charles and then jonas looks at her in astonishment that she would try to tell him what to do i know (laughs) so good yeah okay i have to read out my very favorite jonas part okay which is when they're in there she has a little hiding spot Mm -hmm. out in the property which is sort of underneath some bushes and um i lay there with jonas listening to his stories all cat stories start with this statement my mother who was the first cat told me this And I lay with my head close to Jonas and listened. There was no change coming, I thought, here. Only spring. I was wrong to be so frightened. The days would get warmer and Uncle Julian would sit in the sun and Constance would laugh when she worked in the garden and it would always be the same. Jonas went on and on. And then we sang and then we sang. (laughs) And the leaves moved overhead and it would always be the same. I just love that. Mm. I love the thought that Jonas's stories are like, and then we sang and sang. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Yeah. (coughs) So let me ask you, we never actually get a physical description of Jonas. There's a little bit about his white face. There is? Yeah. She's, I think it's when she's trying, like Charles is there and like Jonas is up against, like she's in her corner in the kitchen and she's trying to like ignore Charles Mm. and she's trying to talk to Jonas and she's like, and she's talking talks about his white face like up close to hers but beyond that like there's no yeah. I so mean, how do you picture Jonas I don't know my cover gives <clears> a <throat> gray cat so there's no white face on this cat no. um I do picture Jonas as a short hair mm-hmm, me too um uh, kind of like slight tom like probably like big big bones like not a not a not, not a, a slight cat like a big <laughs> like a big sturdy outdoor cat yeah. Um, the white face is a bit... Um, yeah, I somehow missed the description of him as a white face. And I did, oddly enough, because I don't have the same edition as you, I did oh. picture him as like a smoky gray cat. Oh. Uh-oh. Next right. prompt. Ooh. Would you give this book to your daughter? Ooh. 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 
Would you? Oh, I would. I mean, like, it's just, yeah. Um, <laughs> just, yeah. Just, yeah. Read this book about a murderer's mind. A murderer's mind. But I also think, like, it's an interesting treatise on, like, like yeah, femininity, you mm-hmm. know, Constance as this mm-hmm. beautiful young woman who everyone's like, oh, your life is halted. Yeah. And you do find out from Mary Cat that when Charles comes around, like, she is not actually surprised to see him. She doesn't realize that he's, you know, he's got this extra thing because it sounds like when the trial was going on and a little bit afterwards, like, Constance was a celebrity yes. of, and a lot of men came around and like used her name and we're trying to get glimpses of her right. and also Calling like her name approach from her. The house. And yeah. we understand that Constance is very beautiful. Yes. And she's got like all this domesticity like nailed down. Yep. And so this kind of, you know, the, the arsenic kind of derailed all that situation. Mm-hmm. But it also is interesting because it seems like for that time, like she should have already been out into society, but yes. her wicked family, potentially her mom, was keeping her in the kitchen as mm-hmm. kind of her slave, and she was supposed to be out. Yeah, but also Mary Cat, like she reads as like a thirteen-year-old. She very much reads as a young girl. Like you would never think she was eighteen from no. reading her thoughts. No, um, I think that this book does really interesting things with the idea of femininity too. I think mm-hmm. that. Both Constance and Mary Cat are living outside of society, mm-hmm. and society is not pleased about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and when Helen Clark comes at the beginning and she's saying to Constance, like, you're beautiful, you're young, like, mm-hmm. you need to get back out in the world, and the implication is very much, like, you need to get married and, like, yeah. do fit into society again. Yeah. And Mary Cat is horrified. She's chilled every she's time. Chilled. She's well, always saying that I was, I was chilled. Yeah. Um, and I think that she's like. It's hard to know. I don't think that Mary Cat. It's always interesting to know. Like, did she kill her family in a flight of temper, or did she plan it? Because mm. we know with the townspeople and even with Uncle Julian, like she's constantly thinking about it. So yeah. she could have thought about it. Oh yeah. And then finally done it in like a fit of temper. Right. But it was a bit planned. But did she know that that would also give her Constance completely? Because she is very threatened by the idea of anyone getting Constance back out into society. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really interesting too that Constance, in my reading of the book, Constance also doesn't want to be back out in society. No, she she's proud of herself for like going slightly down the path, but like even after the whole thing, she's like we're not going anywhere. Like no. No, and she also sort of takes delight in some of the things that Mary Cat does. Like she's yeah. you know like they, they laugh together about some of the things. Well, they are sisters, so you have to mm-hmm. wonder whatever's going on with Mary Cat. Does Constance have it a bit? And yeah. that's why she and Mary Cat have always had this bond, this bond yeah. where Constance seems to understand Mary Cat mm-hmm. in a way that no one else does. Right. She's not at all phased by Mary Cat burying things. No. Um, she's not worried about it. She never thinks like, she always is like, Mary Cat, you're wonderful. Like, I love you. You're a sweet child. Yeah, they're very affectionate. Mm-hmm. And she's definitely, definitely complicit in the murders because. Yes. Aside, she knows. She knows. And aside from washing the sugar bowl out, but not calling the doctor right away, you do have to wonder why did she buy the arsenic? Did yeah. she really kill it? 
buy it to kill rats or did she you know that would be a temptation to yeah. Mary Cat because so, it seems like she was teaching Mary Cat about poisons the mm-hmm. whole time she was yeah and I think that when when you get the figure of Charles coming in as this patriarchal kind of they say he looks like their father mm. and he's also trying to force Constance into this role where you know he's like he's very much taking control of her actions and he's always like, no, Constance is busy. She can't do this for you. She can't do that for you. She can't cook for you, but she can cook for me. Yeah. And I don't think Constance likes that in the end. No. Well, she certainly sees Charles for what he is. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things where she actually feels the pullback to like normalcy and the ways that things go because she has this like, super like misogynistic masculine man like bust into the house mm-hmm. and be like I'm the head of the family now yeah. and she's like and she probably like he looks like her dad she gives yeah. him her dad's room she's like okay like yeah. I'll start okay yeah you might have a point about Mary Cat mm-hmm. I mean he does have some valid points like they're, they're, the situation is not healthy but <laughs> he's she's such so, an ass but he's though. such an ass and but she's so blind to the fact that he's constantly like well like I could have, I could have used that gold watch. I could have worn that scarf. I liked its colors. <laughs> like she, he's like, I could have, you know, like I want this. How much is this worth? Like she just answers everything yeah. in the way that she answers Uncle Julian with like no kind of sense that like she's like, wow, what's this man really here for? Yeah, she seems quite yeah, bl- like blinded to the fact that he's clearly there after their worldly possessions. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And do they not care because they don't seem to care? Obviously they've kept the house and whatever, but they mm -hmm. more out of like a duty and a sentimentality that that's what the Blackwoods did more than for anything of like monetary value. They definitely don't care about money at all. And they have plenty of it for what they need, which is not very much. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think part of their keeping the house up is that whole for you know that whole idea of like this is our castle right like we have always lived in the castle like Mm -hmm. we're going to maintain this this sort of like sanctuary yeah for ourselves um yeah and in some ways I think you can you can read this as like a a victory for feminine you know that they're going their own way subversive femininity because although Constance is super domestic she's using it for her own ends right she's like Mm -hmm. really almost like extremely domestic she's she's doubled down on this situation she's doubled down but it's it's for them and it's for them only and they're not going to join the world and take their places like wives and mothers the way society wants them to yeah well it's a very Grey Mm Gardens-esque end Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting I'd also like to point out even though this isn't really about the femininity but it just reminded me with Charles and his obsession there's a really funny quote quote after he finds the silver dollars that Mary Cat has buried and he's like ranting about it to Constance she's like does Charles just always like you know did Bunny and Charles like go just always find each other or is he systematically digging up our lawn (laughs) and I just love it she's like huh like (laughs) how did this come about yeah yeah Yeah, they're like so I love it because Mary Cat can clearly tell that Charles is all about the possessions and the money Mm -hmm. but she also doesn't care she's just so threatened by him trying to exert his will over Constance and seeming to win a bit but Mm -hmm. I think the thing is is that for some reason Charles is very stupid and (laughs) while he well because he's trying to woo Constance so so he clearly doesn't like either he's so obsessed with money that he doesn't care that Constance murdered the rest of the family and thus potentially could do the same to him or he hasn't 
he doesn't think that, but he hasn't figured out that, of course, it must be the weird other girl who's running around and nailing things to, you know, and like burying things. And like, you know, she is someone not to antagonize. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Why, why hasn't Charles put that together? Why has he not put that together? Like, is he so obsessed with the money? And he's just always like ranting at Constance to be like, this isn't right. This is not cool. And it's like, dude, you have walked into like you are, he is lucky to get away. He is. He is lucky to get away. Um, I think, yeah, coming back to what you said about he can't, Mary Cat doesn't care about the possessions in the same way. Mm-hmm. I think she cares, they, they symbolize something very different to her yeah. when he starts taking their father's gold watch and gold chain and his ring. And he, for Charles, he's like, these are valuables. Mm-hmm. And for Mary Cat, they're symbolic of his power in the household. Yes. So she wants to take them from him and she breaks the watch and Mm -hmm. she breaks the chain because she's trying to, in her mind, that will help the house reject Charles. Yeah. And I think it also goes back to her kind of like... I mean, it's, it's framed as witchcraft, but we also know that this is, this is the mind of someone who's not entirely sane or healthy. Yes. Uh, so what she's talking about in witchcraft can also be seen as like an extreme form of like something OCD where, mm-hmm. and like, but it's been internalized also from the Blackwoods. Like literally mm. everything has its place. Mm-hmm. Like they're, I think they're describing like her mother's dresser at one point, like the hairbrush is never not in that exact yep. position. Yeah. And so he comes in and starts disturbing these rooms and the possession, yes. like where things are supposed to be. And it like really messes with her sense of order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also interesting in terms of like those, that kind of like rules that she's put on herself that after the fire, like she, she's, she could never go into uncle Julian's room and Constance is like, really? Like even now, like that he's dead. And she's like, no. And Constance is like, okay. And then she finds that she just can't go to certain places, Mm -hmm. even on the property. On the property. Yeah. That she used to be able to go to. And at first I didn't really know there's constantly lists in the book of things she's not allowed to do. And I didn't Mm -hmm. know if these were rules that Constance had put out for her. Like she's Mm. not allowed to serve food. She's not allowed to handle knives. Like they're all very much things that you wouldn't let a child do. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it becomes clear that these are restrictions she has put upon herself. Yeah. To the point where that when after the house, like this is still their property, they could, you know, put the gate up and like not allow people to literally come onto the front lawn Mm -hmm. and picnic. Mm -hmm. But they, they can't and they don't, even though they don't want people there, they cannot even exert themselves, assert themselves to right. that space. But they're also, the people are also sort of like their link to, um, a, sort of like a, a window into themselves and how they're viewed, right? Mm-hmm. What their status continues to be in the village. Right. Which is again, like very much like these are the scary witches and they're yeah. used as a threat. Like the, the ladies will get you. People say it to their children. Yeah. And so like, I feel like this is, this is the way the village has of like incorporating them in right. since they wouldn't be incorporated as, you know, societally approved. Yeah. Women. And, the, and even the food, is it, is it penance or is it offerings? Yeah. Like, it walks that line. Cause there's like the scene of the little boy who like is dared to come onto the porch and like chant the old song. Yeah. And then the next, like that night, uh, like a thing arrives being like, he didn't mean it. Yeah. And is it because like he hurt their feelings or like, please don't do something to him. He yeah. didn't mean it. 
Yeah, yeah. And they're yeah. and they're, they're kind of laughing at it and they're like, oh, the poor kid, he's probably hiding under his bed. Yeah, <laughs> scared of them. Mm-hmm. But also interesting because while they have disengaged from society, like they do talk about, like they do, they clean the kitchen and whatever they've got going on in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then they just go and sit Mm -hmm. at the front door in secret and watch and listen to everyone every day. So when everyone talks about a presence, it's because they are there watching them. (laughs) They are. (laughs) Yeah. It's super crazy. They're fully doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because Constance is is, is right there with Mary Cat oh, yeah. in this. Like, yep, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And there's a the part where Charles comes back and is oh, pounding on the door, yeah. And she's like, "I don't think that Constance is going to be able to like not burst out laughing." Yeah, and she's really holding. In, and actually, there's a great. And then they start as he like gets in the car, like because they haven't said anything. And he's mm-hmm. trying and he's trying, and then he finally gets in the car. Mm-hmm. They do. They start laughing. They start laughing. And is it described as like cackling? Like witches? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I love this um, this line. The least Charles could have done, Constance said, considering seriously, was shoot himself through the head in the driveway. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's fully with the murder. She is fully with the murder in the end. Yeah. But yeah. maybe always, back to your point, like she did. She bought the arsenic. She did. She bought the arsenic. I think Constance is just as unstable as Mary Cat in a different way. And has handled it through her cooking and her domesticity. Yeah. And there was a reason that they were already not out in society. Like yes. that she wasn't out perhaps because of the family. I think part that was part of it, but I do think if you think about Constance as a Cinderella figure at the beginning, Mm. being forced into this servitude, but then if Cinderella was just like, no, I'm good. Yeah. I don't really want to go to the ball and meet the prince. Yeah. Also, I kind of think about killing people a lot. They might have been like, oh, you should stay here. Yeah. Like, and she might have been like, yeah. Because this, this is, is all from Mary Cat's perspective, I was just right? going to say, we never see inside Constance's mind. So who's to say that Constance isn't also having these kind of magical thinking sort of, I'm going right. to cook this in this certain way and this is going to do this and that. Yeah. Like, you don't And we know. also know, like... We know that the family seems kind of terrible from Uncle Julian's recollections, but he is also constantly trying to solve the crime. So he is yep. focusing on moments of tension, trying to be like, yes. maybe this was it. Yep. So we don't actually know that they were terrible. I'm just like, going to say they were terrible. Well, was the 10-year-old boy... He was also terrible because it says many times, it says a couple times. But it's all for the Mary Cat's mind. No, it's... A lot of it is through Uncle Julian, which yeah. is filtered through Mary Cat. Yeah. But he says, one time he says that the little boy was just like his dad. Mm-hmm. And then there's another time where he says he couldn't tell who was speaking, the boy or the father. And I think that we were led to believe that the 10-year-old boy was also quite terrible. Not that I'm advocating the murder of 10-year-old boys or anyone for that matter. I know. I guess I just like, I'm like, a 10-year-old can be quite quite bratty, but generally no 10-year-old deserves to be murdered. Of course not. So I do wonder because, because it's also interesting because Uncle Julian really goes through a journey as a character because when you first encounter him, like you just, I just like, he seemed like he was wheelchair bound and forgetful. Yeah. But your first introduction to him really, like, as a full character is when Mrs. Wright and him have that whole thing. He's very lucid. He's right with it. He's deductive. He's very um, congenial to everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But then Charles comes along and is like, oh, my God, I can't believe that you can, like, eat in the same room as him. And you're like, what is he talking about? And he's going on and on about the fact that, like, again, food, Mm -hmm. Uncle Julian 
I guess messy, a messy. So something's going on in terms of how he's feeding himself or his mouth or whatever. So there's more there yeah. that Mary Cat never notices. Like, yeah, she never reports on that. Yeah. Yep. So she is a very flawed narrator. It's like what what concerns her. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. I also think it's really funny that Uncle Julian's continually obsessed with solving this crime and he's living with the murderess and the accomplice mm-hmm. who fully know what's happened. And like, yeah. have they ever told him, but he can't remember? Oh, I doubt it. I think that would, um, not, it would take away his pastime. Yeah. Also who like gave uncle Julian back to these two? <laughs> <laughs> Did he, he probably, had nowhere to go? He probably didn't have anywhere to go. Yeah, yeah he just went home, Yeah, he right? trashes the other two brothers. Oh, yeah. And I think because Constance was an adult... Mm. She was, and acquitted. And acquitted, she probably became Mary Cat's guardian. Yeah. Um, and Uncle Julian would have just gone back home. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Oh, you want to... I'll pull, I'll pull a prompt. Ooh, character study. Favorite character, why? An honorable mention. And then we'll pull a card from the random character questions. I think we share the same favorite character. Yes. Mary Cat. Mary Cat is a damn good character. Yeah. There's just so many layers going on there. Um, And just like, I mean, this may be just Shirley Jackson's writing, but like some of her like comments and stuff to Mm -hmm. herself are just so well written, so deliciously odd <laughs> yeah so odd and i uh, really like her fantasy of living on the moon constant is yeah. living on the moon and that like she finally believes that they are living on the moon once it's just the two of them yeah. and is that because she just doesn't want anybody else to be there i think so yeah yeah she's like very it's funny how she's just like in the end she's like we are so happy yeah like and she fully no one that. else is here yeah. i got my cook all to myself like yep. yeah uh yeah she's delicious in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I think that goes back to like what we we're talking about, like giving to my, my daughter. I wouldn't want my daughter to be her. No. no, no. But it would be very interesting to be like this, you know, this is a different kind of female. Like mm-hmm. this is, yeah, like this is something else that can exist out there. Yep. You know, because some of those things, like there are some things, like I certainly remember as a child, having a bit of superstitions mm-hmm. and like things that I would put in the woods. And I'm yep. um, like, if I did this, like, cause we grew up with those things, like yep. don't step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back. Yep. Like, so yep. it's kind of like the exaggeration of all of those things mm-hmm. have really been. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's a really fascinating character and watching, I think it's just a really well portrayed, consistent mm-hmm. mind that mm-hmm. is, um, very like different than the norm. Mm -hmm. And I think Shirley Jackson did a great job of presenting such a fascinating viewpoint into that kind of unstable. um, Yeah. 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 I, and I think with like a little bit of entry points where you can kind of relate to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Even how she like decides about going like into the town and like how she'll get around and she doesn't want to walk in front of like that gaggle of men. Yep. I certainly have had that where I'm like, yeah. Oh, I don't want to go by there. Like I, you know, if I go this way, mm-hmm. if I go that way. So there's these interesting entry points into yeah. like that. You're like, Oh, this is where, yeah. you know, there's kind of like this real grounding of like a sense of realness. Yeah. Then it goes further. Mm. Yeah. Uh, honorable mention, 
think we both also agree on this one. Uncle Julian. Uncle Julian, his lack of filter and his hilarity. I just love how he just like at some point is like, no, I've had it with Charles. Like, when is he leaving? He's a bastard. Oh, excuse my language. Yeah. But he is a bastard. I don't mean in the literal sense. Yeah, I'm just going to read this. Yeah. <laughs> you must tell him this, Constance. He is a bastard. In a purely metaphorical sense, I assure you, both my brothers married women of very strong will. <laughs> that is merely a word used among men, my dear. I apologize for submitting you to such a word to categorize an undesirable fellow. <laughs> I love how he's just so like good. fully on board with like this guy has got to go. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel a little sad for him, like during the whole fire situation, because oh, we don't yeah. really know what, like, what, like, is he in the back garden? They've just like wheeled him out there and then gone off on their own. Like, no, I he, think he doesn't think he, think he gets out of his room, does he? I can't, because they're having dinner. Yeah, but he goes into his room to get his papers when the house oh, goes on fire. Oh, right. Um, he's definitely a character full of pathos. Yeah. Um, he's funny, but he's also sad. Mm-hmm. And um, he provides a lot of the exposition in the book, which mm-hmm. is, he that's a great function. Yeah. Um, I also want to give out a little shout out, even though we almost have one honorable mention, to mm-hmm. the doctor. Oh, yes. He's like the only one really who, and we don't see a lot of him. No, but, but there is that kind of... Um, like Mary Cat always like she doesn't engage no. when he comes around, but there is like when he goes in, like he he's very like he does his duty. He's by very Uncle professional, Julian. Yeah. yeah, and he seems to actually care. Yeah, but not in a really like noxious way, like Helen Clark, where she's trying to right. push them for something yeah. that, that she wants, but they don't. But he comes in, he does his job. He's the one who stops the mob at the end mm-hmm. from going any further he comes back around with jim clark even though Mm -hmm. i think at that point he kind of loses his patience because he's like at some point you're gonna get sick like you're gonna need help like yeah which is fair enough fair enough um but yeah yeah honorable mention to the doctor all right right. let's pull a pull a prompt pull a character prompt here we go (laughs) which character would you want to go camping with Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I bet Constance would whip up some damn good camp food. I think that she would pack everything you need, but she, she wouldn't actually go with you. She doesn't leave the house. No, but either would Mary Cat really, because she couldn't leave Constance for that long. I would like to go with Jonas. <laughs> oh, <laughs> go camping with a cat. Yeah, I mean, you could go camping like in their backyard. That's true. Yeah. They've got quite a large property. Constance definitely knows. But like also, I would honestly be worried about all of them because we know that they're like very adept at being able to murder you with lots of the natural plants out there. So what you're saying is you want to go camping with Mrs. Wright. <laughs> I t- maybe. <laughs> she seemed like a... <laughs> she seemed a little bit useless, actually. She seemed a bit useless, but also like I do like her... I did, I did a, you know connect to her more gossipy nature she's like well now that they're in this like i got some questions (laughs) you guys could have a big old chin wag on your camping trip (laughs) okay you go camping with this is right and i'll go camping with jonas all right we'll compare we will compare favorite parts Ooh, Ooh. i have my favorite part all bookmarked do you have well we talked about the scene with mrs wright being one of your favorites yeah and then i think i had one other scene i'm just trying to remember here oh yes Mm -hmm. okay okay should i go first yeah okay so there's a part where mary cat goes out 
onto the property to sort of do her rounds and check for all of her hidden buried treasures and her protections around the house. And this is when she discovers that the book that she's nailed to the tree has fallen. And that's sort of the beginning of, of Charles. But there's just the most beautiful, beautiful description of her with Jonas. It's a little bit long, but I'm going to read part of it. The day outside was full of changing light, and Jonas danced in and out of shadows as he followed me. When I ran, Jonas ran, and when I stopped and stood still, he stopped and glanced at me, and then went briskly off in another direction, as though we were not acquainted. And then he sat down and waited for me to run again. We were going to the long field which today looked like an ocean, although I had never seen an ocean. The grass was moving in the breeze, and the cloud shadows passed back and forth, and the trees in the distance moved. Jonas disappeared into the grass, which was tall enough for me to touch with my hands while I walked and he made small, crooked movements of his own. For a minute, the grass would all bend together under the breeze, and then there would be a hurrying pattern across it where Jonas was running. I started at one corner and walked diagonally across the long field, toward the opposite corner, and in the middle I came directly to the rock, covering the spot where the doll was buried. I could always find it, although much of my buried treasure was forever lost. The rock was undisturbed, and so the doll was safe. I am walking on buried treasure, I thought with the grass brushing against my hands, and nothing around me but the reach of the long field, with the grass blowing and the pine woods at the end. Behind me was the house, and far off to my left, hidden by trees and almost out of sight, was the wire fence our father had built to keep people out. I just love that whole passage. It's pretty great. So much beautiful imagery of the grass and the wind and the ocean of, Mm -hmm. yeah, cloud shadows and, like, her whole sense of, like, security and... Yeah, safety. it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, my favorite scene, well, we've already talked about this one a bit around it. Mm-hmm. Um, when Mary Cat just destroys Charles's room. Oh, yeah. I love this, too. <laughs> yeah. She just, like, full hog goes for mm-hmm. it. I love what she does to it. Yeah. She, oh, God. She gets, like, sticks and... Sticks and broken glass. Broken and glass. Puts and it just, in his bed and his drawers. Oh, pours water pours on the water bed on the so he can never sleep on it again. Yeah. And he, like, freaks out and comes and says, like, I'll, I'll clean it. And then he's like, isn't Mary Cat going to be honest? She was like, well, I said I'd clean it. Like, what more do you want? And then, um, like, he's still freaking out about it. Mm -hmm. And I think Uncle Julian gets involved at that point. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, Mary Cat did this. And he's like, well, she she can't have done that. She's a ghost. Like, she died in the orphanage. And though we've talked about this before, I do remember the first time I read this book, I was like, what? Like, yeah. I thought that was Shirley Jackson dumping this huge thing yeah. that you were like, plot twist. Oh my God. Yeah. But then it's quickly negated. Yeah. But I just love this like tantalizing other tidbit. Cause you're like, what is, what does uncle Julian mean? What, yeah. what is he thinking? What, what is that? Like, yeah. Yeah. But I just love how she also just like full hog destroys his room. I know. And I love her reasoning too, which is yeah. that she thinks that Charles won't recognize it or like the room won't recognize Charles and like he won't be able to sleep in the room anymore because the, it won't be the room that he was in before if she yeah. alters it in this way. It's just so like bizarre. Well, it's weird too, because she obviously from her magic has a sense of like, happenings mm-hmm. and consequences. If mm-hmm. I do this, then this will happen. Yeah. But doesn't seem to have that when she like r- actually full on like aggresses upon and like right. attacks other people. No sense of consequences. No, not at all. <laughs> and it's really interesting too how she talks about it at having um Charles won't have a get have a hold on it. Mm. And then she sees him like 
being uncomfortable and not knowing what to do when this happens. And she's like taking pleasure and she describing him as a demon and saying like, I could see the demon not being able to get a hold of the house. Mm -hmm. And so she thinks that like what she's done has been working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very eerie. It's very eerie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other scene uh, is when, they have escaped the circle of people mm-hmm. and they have gone to her like hiding place in the trees. Yeah. And this is when she kind of drops what is not a bomb to us because no. it's been pretty obvious, but the way that it happens is still yes. like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to poison them all. Yeah. And Constance is like, like you did before. She's mm-hmm. like, like I did before. What? Um, but then, so the accompanying scene is when Constance forgives, I mean, Constance asks for forgiveness for even mentioning this, yes. for even calling Mary Cat on like, like you did before. And she says it was wicked of her. Yeah. And Mary Cat's like, it's fine. I forgive you. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, then again, you just do wonder about the planning of it, mm-hmm. like that they won't talk about it. They don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. Yeah. You wonder how much like of a hand Constance had in like the training of Mary Cat. Well, they might not have planned it, but she laid all the elements into it. Yes. She helped it happen. For she sure. helped it happen. And then she told people that she wanted them dead. Yeah. So. She said they deserve to die, which yeah. I think is really telling because if you look at an unbalanced 12 year old, you're like, okay, she's a antisocial murderer. But if you mm-hmm. look at a 22 year old also saying, no, these people deserve to die. Yeah. That's slightly different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And both of them kind of being united in this. Mm -hmm. So, and it's also interesting that they are the two females of the family. So what is happening to them that is not happening to the brother? Yeah. Like, is this just misogyny gone rampant that he is like the, you know, the next? Yeah. Like he's the heir. He would have had more freedom probably. So much more freedom. Yeah. More leeway. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Mm. Whoa there. Oh. Problematic things in the book. Oh. And I'm just going to say, I have no problems with this book. <laughs> I, I love this book from start to finish. I found nothing in it that I would go. Whoa there. No. Yeah. No. Because, I mean, problematic things, we're not talking about weird things that are in the book. We're talking about like weird attitudes or things that have been represented. Yeah. But I think we've fully debunked like, because a whole bunch of the other books we've talked about have Mm. had kind of problematic domestic things. But this one we've really, you know, tapped into like... Yeah, what function that's serving. In the book. And it's it's quite a clever, like, Mm -hmm. much more nuanced. So there's not a lot of problems there. All right, so no. All right, moving on. This is food in the book. (laughs) (laughs) We've really, really done that. We really, really have. Um... This is really moving right along at the end here. (laughs) Uncomfortably close reading. Mm -hmm. An examination of literary techniques in the book. Okay, well, this book is um, definitely uh, going along with a lot of the tropes of gothic fiction. Mm. Um, So it's got, you know, the sort of like the suspense, fear, mystery aspect to it. Mm -hmm. 
her books have been called horror, but I also, um, in the Deviant Women podcast that I mentioned at the beginning, they talk about the distinction between terror and horror. Mm. So horror being more of like the gory type of okay. um, genre, whereas terror is much more about fear. Okay. And so I think this book um, follows uh, all of Shirley Jackson's books, I think would be more classified as terror than horror. Um, it's very psychological type of suspense or fear um it's got you know the isolation the death and ghosts in a sense which we talked about a bit um confusion over what is real and what isn't mm-hmm. um that type of like psychological or or madness type of question so all of those are very like gothic gothic tropes and I think it also takes some of the gothic tropes and subverts them so Mm. like there's often a romance in a gothic novel um usually by um sort of a gothic hero who is questionable so Charles is definitely questionable but I don't think there's a lot of romance (laughs) happening here um again the damsel in distress is another like huge like gothic Right. Trope that I think is subverted here because they're very much not in distress. Like they're very self sufficient. Charles not... tries to be like, you need to be rescued. Yeah. And Constance is like, maybe. Yeah. And then the end, they're like, eh, not so much. Not so much. Yeah. Um, also, I think it's uh, there's a great little illusion at the beginning when Mary Cat's in town and she's walking past the Rochester house. Oh, right. Little Jane Eyre shout out there, which is another very gothic right. novel. Mm hmm which she says should have been their mother's house, but mm-hmm. we don't really know why, probably because it was passed down through the male line other than the female line, I'm guessing. Oh, maybe. Um, yeah, because it's by rights, she says, should have been Constance's. Yeah. And then she says that the house that they actually live in is supposed to be just a summer house, mm-hmm. but it was the only house they had because the yeah. house in town had long ago been lost to them. Yeah. And then interestingly, the castle, the castle reference, which is again, a Gothic trope, often Gothic novels will take place in an isolated, eerie, creepy castle. Whereas their house is like, actually described as very bright and very like spacious and filled with light and sparkling and clean until the end mm. where it sort of turns into a castle yeah. after it's burned. Then like the burned shape yeah. of it makes sort of like a turret shape and it becomes overgrown with ivy and it becomes, they board up all the, the Gothic windows. Castle. Like it really it turns fulfills into its potential. One. She mm-hmm. does say though, that there are some like, you know, the drawing room from the outside looks very, um, I can't remember quite what the wording is, but like from the inside, it's Mm -hmm. like bright and beautiful, but Mm -hmm. from the outside, the windows don't present that well, the tall, narrow windows, which is a very Gothic kind of like Mm -hmm. look to Mm -hmm. it. But that's, you know, like the house is just not fully realized, just like they have not fully realized their true, I guess, roles. Right. Yeah. 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 That's pretty much all I got. All righty. The last one. Oh, <laughs> it's books with Brad. Books with Brad. <laughs> if this book were a Brad Pitt character, which one would it be? Mm-hmm. So you think it would be 12 Monkeys? 12 Monkeys? I'm just trying to think of all the Brad movies. Like, I'm trying to think if Brad was ever in, like, a gothic kind of movie. I can't think of one. Yeah. One with, like... I can't even picture Brad in a castle. <laughs> perhaps, so perhaps you should do that <laughs> I know it's like actually like I probably should look up the filmology a little bit more um, I guess the only like hmm, ch- 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 
12 Monkeys, because he's certainly like insane in 12 mm-hmm. Monkeys, mm-hmm. Uh, though the rest of the book really. But he's also like fulfilling like a very specific like mm. you know mm-hmm. um end that he's like working it's true he's got he's very um what's the word i'm looking for he's very focused on what he's doing even though he presents as a little unbalanced and right so i don't know okay i'm gonna go with uh, yeah i feel like you were like 12 monkeys like, so <laughs> let's do 12 monkeys yeah all right that's it <laughs> all right there's one left okay it's gonna be Ooh, is there any dancing of the Paphian jig in this book? Ooh, no, no. And no. Thank, thank goodness. Thank goodness. I mean, we don't know this for sure because this is Mary Cat's perspective, but I don't think that Connie does it with Charles. No. I hope not. I hope not, too. He's trying to make it happen. Oh, he is. He's really trying to make it He's happen. He's trying to be the man of the house mm-hmm. and make her the woman of the house. Yeah. However, there isn't really any wooing happening. There's no wooing. No. I think his wooing is like, I'm the man of the house. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't work. That's it. I'm going to yell at you about like how you've been living and like assert myself. But like, there's no real talk of like marriage. But he does start referring to like when he's trying to constantly when he's trying to dominate Mary Cat, it's like, Connie and I have talked. Connie and I, we have agreed. Like, he starts referring to them as a couple. He does, yeah. Um, And she does defer to him a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think it's because, like, she'd given that up for herself. And so he kind of busts in and she's like, oh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, And then it's also interesting because she... um, through that, she's like, you know, Mary Kat, you should have a boyfriend. Right. Like, you should be out there in the world. And Mary Kat's like, Jonas is my boyfriend. And then they just start laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not on the theme of boyfriends, but uh, once again on the theme of Jonas. Oh, we have discovered that he is not, in fact, white face. Oh, it yeah. was Charles. <laughs> Charles, Charles is white face. So, big white face. indeed, Jonas could be the smoky gray as pictured on the cover of yes, my book. I like that. I think it's appropriate for a witch's cat. And I also want to say that I was so thrilled to reach the end of this book and have Jonas make it through. Because oh. as soon as there's an animal in the book, I start to worry about it. It's true, especially like in a, in a book that's described as a horror book, because yeah. it's such a it's such a common trope to kill, to the, kill animal the animal for empathy and like you know to dial yes. up that tension. Yeah. So it's very exciting that Jonas makes it through. Yeah, and at the end, he's just with them in the house and he's eating mm. his dinner and like. <laughs> Doesn't Mary Cat suggest that he could like get them rabbit? And yes. this is like ha ha ha. <laughs> that cat has like been way too spoiled to ever be able to fend for himself yeah. like <laughs> so true but yeah jonas like emerges unscathed from all of the events of the novel and is happily He's already waiting for them in like their hiding place yeah yeah when yeah. they're like finally escape from everyone and get there yeah. yeah but thankfully there is no sex in the book not even and this is very interesting like not even the telltale like kind of like you know female coming of age for mary cat who like has literally been coming of age during this, like, six years. Right. Um, We never hear about, like, any kind of boy fantasy, anything like that. She is not, like, that is not an interest. No, and I feel like she doesn't really come of age. Like, I feel like she's very much arrested at the childhood stage. So I don't know that that's ever really going to... No, I don't think it's ever going to happen for either of them. No. No, they're, like, fully committed just to each other Mm -hmm. and they're, like, burned out kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so sweet. And they're, like, 
Constance has to wear Uncle Julian's clothes. Yes, and Mary Kate has to wear tablecloths. But she won't even be able to touch his clothes in nope. death. No. Like, is that a guilt thing? What is that? <sighs> yeah, she's got really rigid rules for herself. And I think specifically probably around Uncle Julian because maybe partially guilt, but also partially... Because she had to witness the suffering that she caused him, whereas everyone else... For like, years, yeah. She, yeah, everyone else died. I don't even know... We don't even know if she actually witnessed it because she was in her room. I don't Constance think she did. did. Constance did, yes. I think that Mary Cat maybe for, for those six years gave herself such rigid rules around Uncle Julian to prevent herself from finishing him off Mm. but also maybe over time because he proved himself to be not that bad right Mm -hmm. like separated from the rest of them yeah he didn't seem of a bad mind and in fact was often like these people weren't that great right yeah Yeah. so i think maybe he she warmed to him yeah because he probably was able to speak more freely of that once the rest of them were there and she was like oh okay you're not actually that bad yeah but that kind of does relate to like maybe someone else wasn't that bad but but his wife (laughs) well yeah his poor wife dorothy (laughs) at some point was like i know she's sign up with me perhaps did not expect arsenic <laughs> in the blackberries signed up with me like <laughs> who could have seen that one going yeah. um oh. interestingly in the most recent film adapt- adaptation of this book crispin glover played uncle julian do love me some crispin I glover do also love, but i did um inadvertently read <laughs> if you can inadvertently read something um a synopsis of that novel and they changed the oh, ending of the movie significantly what? and i'm not impressed on the record here not Why impressed change the ending <gasps> she doesn't go with the charles does she no. Okay. But Charles, when he comes back at the end, uh-huh. he like break, he like pushes, forces away into the house oh. and then attacks Constance and then Mary oh. Kate kills him and then they bury him in the backyard. Oh my God. Yeah. I would just officially like to say. <laughs> Cause that's just, Wowzers. you know, full that quote that I read about her, Shirley Jackson, knowing what there is in the world to be afraid of that just, that kind of blatant sort of no subtlety to it mm-hmm. just it's like they, they couldn't the leave him at a, the story as like a slightly just like selfish money obsessed guy yeah. like he just had to come full evil yeah and they couldn't leave mary cat as like a un, as a disturbed unbalanced girl that you you had to see her commit an act of violence. See, yeah. Which is actually, I don't think her, how she functions. No. Cause she actually fulfills that really, um, like long classic trope of women's like murder weapons are poison. Right. Yeah. yeah. So to physically like, I don't know what she does. Attack. Yeah. I think she, I don't know why I'm picturing a steak. <laughs> Steaked in like you was a vampire. She was full Buffy. The big white face. <laughs> that's the real secret. Oh. Charles is a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. Uh, well, that's no. unfortunate. So unfortunate. I, I just... do love me some Crispin Glover. Yep. I think the actress that they picked for Mary Cat was, I, I was slightly intrigued by, but I can't mm. remember who it was. Tessa Farmiga? Oh. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, Farmiga. I think she has a slightly famous sister. Mother. Mother. Vera Farmiga. She was on the Bates. Oh, Bates Motel? Yeah, she was the mom. 
I don't actually watch anything, so I... You don't? I never actually watched the Bates Motel either. (laughs) All I know is that Rihanna was on it. Oh. And I was was like, oh, I wish I had seen that. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to be done about it now. (laughs) (laughs) can never watch it now. It doesn't exist. (laughs) Anyways, all right. So, to get to our last and... Oh, Final right. segment. Let's judge this book by its cover. Let's do it. Do you want to go first? We've already talked about yours a little bit. We've already talked about mine a little bit. So mine was the one where we have read the back cover, which is mm-hmm. pretty epic. Um, I also love that it's it's like it's a black background mm-hmm. and it's yellow writing mm-hmm. and the font like gets smaller and smaller every line. Mm, that's cool. So it's it's kind of, yeah, it's like it draws you in because you have yeah. to get closer and so mine is, let's see here. I don't know. It's copyright 1962, but that's when the book came out. It yes. doesn't say First anything published. about like what edition this is. What's it say on the spine? Ooh. <clears throat> uh, it's a popular library book. We've hmm. always lived in the castle, Shirley Jackson. And there's just a whole bunch of numbers after it. So I guess I will just describe my friend. So mine... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> describe my friend. <laughs> my cover um, looks at first glance like a V.C. Andrews cover, mm-hmm. which is kind of delightful in a sense. It's got this really like... Um, Shirley is written straight, but then the Jackson is curved, much like those kind of covers with really nice big loopies on the J and the N. And then framed underneath that is a window um, in which Mary Cat and Jonas are looking out of. The window is smashed, and nicely, the smashed uh, window actually gives Mary Cat two cat ears above, and she is holding what I guess would be like the berries, like poison mm. berries, that blackberries, blackberries. Or? I don't. They're red. I don't know. Like is oh. arsenic? Is that like what makes arsenic? What is arsenic? I don't know actually. What arsen- How you get arsenic? How yeah. One, how one Anyways. formulates arsenic? Let's just assume it's a poison yeah. berry. And she is giving a look. <laughs> oh, she is giving Let a look. <laughs> oh, she looks. Yeah. She looks terrifying, terrifying, like slightly out of it. Like at first you're just like, oh, but if you look in close, this, this girl has a, first of all, her eyes are, they follow you. Wherever you book the book, she's looking at you. I wish this was a video podcast right now so I could see you eyeing up the book. <laughs> Being terrified by your own 1962 paperback. Yeah. Anyways, I love it. Um, we, so there's actually... So the current, the current, mm. most current one, mm-hmm. well, you have a, so let's talk about yours and then okay. we can talk about, yeah. Mine is Penguin Classics. Um, it's, yeah, it's a fairly recent one and it's part of their series that is the classic orange and white, but this one has um, illustrations on it. So this one was published in 2016, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so I do quite like the illustrations on the front. There are blackberries. There's the sugar bowl with embossed with a B for Blackwood. There's a picture of Jonas and he's actually wrapped around the, the penguin logo. Mm-hmm. This is, this is a nice cover. Yeah. And the back has, um, the book with the nail in it and a lot of poisonous mushrooms. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, in my mind, the most acceptable, widely available Yes. Edition, because there are some terrible ones. The other one that you can get, which is, I think, the first edition that you and I both read. Yes. 
I don't know what's going on on that cover. <sighs> it's like, it's, it looks, ah, it looks like, well, it looks like the American Gothic picture, mm-hmm. you know, of the two farmers and they've got like those long, sallow faces and they've rendered like the village standing behind in like kind of a circle. Yeah. And then there's like Mary, Cat and Constance, but they look like, mm, it's like very also like, childish at the same, like childish Gothic, like ghosty faces. Yeah. They're very like cartoony yeah. and kind of, um, yeah, I just do not find it fitting with no. the tone of the book at all. No. And um, then especially once you Google other versions. Yes. Yeah. So I got this specially off of eBay because once we started looking, we were like, oh my gosh, there's some amazing versions and this mm-hmm. one came up and you are still on the everlasting hunt for another really yes, amazing I'm version. holding out for the mass market paperback edition from 1963, I think it is. And mm-hmm. it's blue. It's got Mary Cat sort of draped over a fence mm-hmm. and she's looking through a hole in the fence. So you can mm-hmm. just kind of see her eye. And much like the sh- shattered glass in yours, the jagged fence post makes cat ears on her. Mm-hmm. It's such a good cover. And it's so great. Yep. So yeah. I'm waiting to find one that I can afford and mm-hmm. that is not falling apart. Yeah. Well, yeah. mine is falling apart, except that I think I've looked into book glue <laughs> a thing to get the pages to go back in. It's falling apart, but it's otherwise in good condition. There's no writing or highlighting. No, there's no writing or highlighting, pages. no ripped pages, except the one I accidentally just ripped. Um, but I, I think I can fix it because the internet has a really specific good guide. So yeah, the ones that yours is also really great because it's kind of like her her pose mm-hmm. is so alluring because it's it's very draped but like also th- threatening it's yeah, yeah yeah it's like is she creeping over the fence is she like spying or spying like spying yeah. over the fence like or is, is that she, just how she hangs out which is also so creepy <laughs> also this one is this just how she looks out of windows and you'd be like oh and it's like is this what she looks like when she goes shopping in town? No wonder everyone's <laughs> freaked out of their minds. She's yeah. like got one of those like gazes that just like, she, she probably doesn't blink enough. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. And probably has no idea. Probably has no empathy. Probably mm-hmm. does not yawn when others do. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we will sum up Mary Cat. So we'll yeah. post some pictures of these on, mm-hmm. on our Instagram. And yeah. uh, I, one other thing I'd like to note about my edition is that it has those jagged edges on oh. the pages. It's like ripped, which I, I quite like aesthetically, but it is not practical because it's very hard to flip to a page oh. or a section that you want because they kind of clump together. Right. So I wish that publishers would stop doing that. It's yeah. Request publishers. I like mine because it has that green edging. You know, I, I like the green edging. I do love the green edging. Mine also has ads in the back. Amazing. Which is so amazing. You are merrily invited to enjoy a great storyteller's lusty portrait of Ooh. historic England. Lusty. <laughs> lusty. Lusty. Mine has, uh, I don't think mine has any. Oh, mine actually does have ads, but they're not as interesting. It's just for oh. other, other Shirley Jackson books. Yeah. Um, I'd also like to say if you enjoyed this book, um, and you haven't read other Shirley Jackson, definitely make an effort to her other books are not as widely available, but you can definitely find them out there. Um, the mm-hmm. haunting of Hill house is quite popular because of the, all the adaptations. Yeah. There's, is there a Netflix series? There's a Netflix series that is like loosely inspired mm-hmm. by, it is not at all a, an adaptation mm-hmm. of the book. It's just sort of taken the character names weirdly. Mm-hmm. I hate it when they do that. Mm-hmm. As you might be able to tell, I'm very much a purist in terms of adaptations, but, um, yeah, her other, her other short stories and books are also, very good. Um, so I think she's definitely an undervalued 
writer. Mm. I would say I had not, I read The Lottery, her very famous short story in high school. And other than that, I had not really, she was not really on my radar until very recently. Mm -hmm. Um, But I absolutely love this book and everything else of hers that I have subsequently read. So Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. So I believe that brings us to our conclusion. This is a really long one, but I think this book warrants a really long episode. But yeah, this actually is uh, our concluding episode of season one, (gasps) Castles. So thank you so much to everyone for tuning in and listening to us. Uh, we will only get better. You can, I hope. <laughs> we <on>. hope. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I'm going to yeah. go bury some stuff in the yard. <laughs> ah, yes. Maybe go nail some, some the terrible version of this oh. to a tree. Oh, that would be quite funny. That would be great. <laughs> um, uh, you can tweet at us at mm-hmm. storygirls. Tweet mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter, or you can tag us, Story Girls Podcast, or send us a direct message or comment uh, if you'd like. And you can also reach us on email at storygirlspodcast at gmail.com. A huge thanks, 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 thanks to Rob, our sound engineer, for editing and providing us with all the equipment. He is awesome. And, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Let's just leave you with a little teaser for our second season. That's exactly the same as our triumph send out. We will be kicking off season two, which I'm going to just go ahead and call a Dorothy L. Sayers and Friends. Ooh. (laughs) It's going to be all about female writers of the golden age mystery mm-hmm. and there's some good stuff in there people some really great stuff so if you like listening to us talk a lot about feminism and you know problematic things but also like loving to discuss like juicy plot points and great stuff, characters great cats. characters cats uh check back in for season two and we'll be posting a reading list for that season soon yeah all right uh, we still don't really have a sign-off. We should have one For some now. reason, I wanted to say au revoir. <laughs> oh, hi, kitty. <laughs> As kitty says, meow. Meow. We just meow ourselves out. Meow. <laughs> <laughs>